candy camera. Okay. All right. I don't know what the what the uh, sound is going to do, but we're trying a new experiment here. We'll see how it goes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for another day. Thank you for your provision in it. It is uh, it's cold outside, but uh, it's warm in here, and uh, we're we're thankful for your provision uh, that we're still here. And you are doing good things in our body. I can't wait to talk about uh, some of the things that you're doing. So. Open our hearts to hear your word today, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. I was looking the other day on, uh, on the internet, and I found a website that has had uh, 17 phrases that if, it, if you understand them, it indicates that you are fluent in Christianese. And... Uh, it was written by written by a guy. I think he got them from somewhere else, but it was on a, uh, an article written by a guy named Barry Howard. Well, I didn't list all seventeen here, but I, I, I listed a few of them. If it be God's will, means I really don't think God's going to answer this one. That's not my spiritual gift. Means find somebody else. Fellowship, organized gluttony. The Lord, the Lord works in mysterious ways equals I'm clueless. I don't feel led means can't make me. I have a check in my spirit about him means I can't stand that jerk. I'll be praying for you means there's a slight chance that maybe sometime later I'll remember this conversation. Prayer concerns equals gossip. You have to put it in God's hands means don't expect me to help you. God wants to prosper you means give me all your money. Uh, but seriously, though, we have we do have our own vernacular, and you know that's kind of lighthearted, uh, although maybe a little too close to home in some areas. But uh, we have we have these words that we use that nobody else in society uses, and we all think we understand them. But uh, somebody from the outside may not understand them. And one of those words that we use often is is the word disciple, and you know that's a bit more serious word, but it's it's a churchified word. And the basic definition, though, is just someone who adheres to the teaching of another. The Greek origin of the word just simply means student or learner, but it's where we get the word discipline from. But a, a disciple. And that day, literally followed the teacher around. And they were following the teacher to learn from him and to be like him. 
Now, when we think about the disciples, we think uh, a lot of times of the 12 people that hung out with Jesus, that he picked out, that followed him around. And we're studying today uh, a part of Jesus' prayer in which he prays for his disciples. But his final command to those disciples that we read in Matthew chapter 28 was to do what? Go and make disciples. And he wasn't saying, go make disciples of yourselves, although that kind of follows, that's sort of the way things work. But what he was saying is, go make disciples of me. So that is, if we're true followers of Jesus, what we should be. That's you and me. His disciples are supposed to be you and me. And therefore, when he prays for his disciples, it has an application to us. The context of, of our, our study today is one we know well because we've been over it several times. It's after Jesus has made his final remarks. He has taught and illustrated love to his disciples. He's preparing them for his departure, and he's given them the promise of the Holy Spirit. We call this prayer in John chapter 17 the high priestly prayer, because Jesus is our great high priest, who paid the sacrifice once and for all and intercedes for us. Scholars have broken this up into into three parts, the first being for uh, Jesus praying for himself in in verses 1 to 5, his prayer for the disciples in 6 through 19, which is where we're starting on today. We won't finish it. And then for all who would believe uh, through their teaching in verses 20 through 26. Uh, but as I said when we started this, I believe that this prayer has application all the way through, not just for the disciples, not just for him, but for all of us. Because his mission, the whole reason he came, was for us. And his heart and his purpose is evident in this prayer. And we'll get through about a third of it today. And the thing that I want you to note uh, in, in this prayer is the recurring theme of unity. His desire that all of his disciples, that all of his people be in unity with one another. To be one, he says, as we are one. And so with that, let's pick up in verse 6. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them. And they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you. And they believed that, I, that you sent me. 
I ask not on their behalf, excuse me, I ask on their behalf, I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of these whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name. The name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are. Amen. He prays for the disciples here. The first thing he says, it's another one of those words we don't really see so much outside of of our Bible. And, And different translations do it different ways, but most commonly you see this, I have manifested your name. What does that mean? It's just, it's, uh, other translations will say, I have revealed your name. I have made known your name. I have showed your name. Now, what does that mean? That's another question that might come up because, well, they all knew his name. They all knew the name of God. They avoided saying it in the Jewish culture because they didn't want to accidentally take his name in vain. But, but they all knew the name of God. They knew its meaning. That's why they took such great offense when Jesus would say, I am, because they knew that's what he was saying. He was taking the name of God. Jesus has revealed, when when he says, I have made your name known or I have manifested your name, he has revealed God's nature. He's revealed the Father's nature, the Father's character, the Father's authority. Some of the paraphrases put it this way. I've made known who you are. Or another one says, I've made known what you are like. And then he says, they were yours and you gave them to me. Everything belongs to the Lord. Everything belongs to Yahweh. We know that. Uh, He's the creator. Thus, Everything belongs to Jesus, and he makes that clear in verse 10. That these in particular were given to him for, uh, for the purpose, for his purpose, and for his mission. But the other thing to note about these guys, these are all Jewish people. These are all the people of God already. They have all been raised to, to keep the word of God. Now, they came from different backgrounds uh, in terms of their professions, in terms of their, their spiritual state, perhaps. But these are all people who had known and presumably tried to keep his word, uh, the word of God, from, from their youth up. They'd been raised in it. I know we've got a tax collector. There might be some questions about him. But, you know, these are, these are, these are God's people already. And 
they are looking for the Messiah. Now, they may not understand what, what, what it meant that they were looking for the Messiah. They hadn't, even at this point, although they believe that Jesus is him, they're still expecting at some point he's going he's gonna to start being the conquering hero. Not understanding that what he's, yeah, he's about to be the conquering hero, but not quite the way they think. But all these people are, are, are devout people that are, yes, they're imperfect. But he says, they've kept my word. They've kept your word, he says. They have come to know and believe that everything you have given me is from you. In other words, they believe that Jesus is speaking, as, as he has said. He's speaking for God. He's speaking for the Father. Everything has been given to him. The entire world and its people, authority over it has been given to him. And the words that he is speaking have been given to him by Father. He says that in chapter 12, verse 49. And, and because they have believed this, the words which you gave me, I have given to them. They received, and not only have they received, not only have they heard it, and put it that way, not only have they heard it, they are, act, they are acting as if it's true. They're acting on those words, and they'll continue to act on those words as they come to understand it. And, and through them, the whole world is going to be impacted. They believe that he came from God, they believe that the Father sent him. Now, that he came from God, well, everybody came from God in one sense, so that may not be quite as hard to believe, but then that they also believe that the Father sent him makes that connection, that this is, this is God's will, this is God's purpose. If we could put it a different way, It would be that they believed that he was sent by the Father and that they believed that what he told them was the truth. And so now Jesus makes the requests of, of Father. He begins. Specifically, he says, for those who have been given to him. This prayer is not for the whole world. And as we read further, we can understand why this prayer is not for the whole world. We know that God loved the world, so loved the world that he gave his son, right? But the world's, not all the world's going to love him back. And so he has, he has prayed here. It would be impossible, in fact, for this prayer to apply to the world. Because he asks, in verse 11, that they all may be one as we are. The world can never be as one with the light because it loves the darkness. First, or excuse me, John chapter 319 uh, tells you that. And you can't have light and darkness in the same place. It doesn't work. Light is always going to dispel the darkness. You can't have the fellowship, you can't have fellowship between the two. And he prays that that he speaks of the oneness between Father and Son. 
There's nothing that the Father withholds from Jesus, and there's nothing that Jesus withholds from the Father, not even his own life. And then he says, I have been glorified in them, in verse 10. Now, it's not that they have achieved perfection. Uh, They would never do that as long as they were here on earth. And in fact, at this point, they still had a long way to go. It wasn't that they were perfect, that they had achieved everything. It was that they believed what he told them. And he is glorified because they believed what he told them. And he is glorified because they are going to act on that belief. And then he makes this statement, I am no longer in the world, which also sounds kind of strange because he's still there. He's, uh, he's, he's there praying before his disciples. He's physically there. He hasn't, he hasn't ascended yet. But he says, I am no longer in the world. Now, I said a couple of weeks ago, because he makes a similar statement in verse 4, where he says, I've done everything you told me to do. And people, people have said that because, because he's God, because he stands outside of time, because he knows that everything that has been appointed is going to be done, uh, and, and, and because he is outside of time, has already been done, he can make a statement like that, even though it's not all done yet. Now, I thought that perhaps he was speaking of, uh, you could also read that, that he was speaking of all the things that he had done up to that point. And that the, uh, the the rest of it was was yet to be done, but here kind of lends itself to the other uh, other viewpoint because again he's speaking and he says I'm no longer in the world, but he's he's still there. He's he's the the, the job isn't physically finished yet, but with God he's outside of time. Everything it's already done. And that is how we can look at our own lives. I'm getting off script here. But you can look at the promises and the things that God has said, even though you don't see it yet. You can know that to Almighty God, if He said it, it's already done. So hang on to that. Hang on to that when you don't see it yet. It's already done. God said it. It's so. And soon, he, is, uh, he will, in fact, be on his way to the Father. And so then he requests, keep them in your name. May they, and I'm, 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 I'm adding in here, but may they continue under your authority. May they continue to spread your good reputation. His name has the the power to create the unity that He desires for us. He desires for the disciples the same unity that He has with the Father. Now, I don't know about you, but that just sort of floors me every time I think about it. How is that even possible? How do we have the same unity 
within our, uh, among ourselves and with him that he has with Father. That seems like an impossibility. And yet we know, we know we're not there yet, but we know that that's the end result. That is the, that's the ultimate goal. And we know that that prayer is going to be answered unless we think that, oh, well, that was something very specific to, to those men who were with him. He's going to say very much the same thing over in verse 23 after he has already explicitly included us in his prayer. That is the desire that he, that is the unity that he desires for us. This theme runs throughout his prayer. Jesus has been repeating it really since he began speaking to them at the Passover. That humble love that he says is how we get it, we are supposed to be identified to the rest of the world. We are to be known as his disciples. Why? Because we serve each other, because we love each other with humility. It's fruit, the fruit of that kind of love is self-sacrifice. And we saw that in John chapter 15. It is really the most prevalent theme in, in this prayer. You see it of the disciples in chapter 11. You see it of all who would believe in verses 21 through 23. And it's only possible because of his glory. And what is his glory? His glory is in his sacrifice and in the results thereof. And his prayer is that we be perfected. You look at verse 23 in that unity. To the end that he, he says that the world may believe. They're supposed to see that, and because they see that, they come to believe. He so loved the world, we've already established that. But not everybody's going to love him back. So now he speaks to his disciples, and that includes you and me. We are called, we are called to love one another. And this love is supposed to define who we are. This unity and a lack of love makes us liars. It, it, it completely destroys our, our message. Now, I'm going to say that, but then I also have to say this. The Western church has taken that message which is good and true and right and has distorted this truth. Because we've decided that some sins are okay. That uh, we don't have to follow the, 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 the scripture uh, you know, exactly. We can, we can make allowances. We can make excuses. Uh, we can conform to the society instead of being the the voice that, that draws society back. But it is not love to ignore sin. We've already established, we know that sin separates us from God. We know that eternal separation from God is damnation and hell. How can we love people by telling them, oh, it's okay? That's not love. God didn't do that. 
In fact, God was so concerned that that not be the message that he died to save the world. Sent Jesus to die to save the world. The authors of the New Testament certainly didn't. Uh, it's those very passages that we dispute and try to paper over. We must speak the truth in love. We must speak the truth because we love. The message of repentance is a message of love. So hear the heart of God. Hear the heart of God in this prayer. He, he really asks very few things. And the focus keeps coming back to being at one. And it's well past time for us as his body of believers to put away those petty differences that we have. He desires of us that we be of one heart, that we be of one mind within our congregation and within the larger body of Christ. And I'm so thankful for the things that I have seen here going off script again a little bit, but uh, I'm very thankful that uh, I, I've been able to see how the Lord's been working in our body. And there is a, there's a stronger unity now than, than I think I've seen since we've been here. And, and that blesses my heart. I appreciate y'all so much. But as we, as we, as we learn to do that, and as we learn to do that within the body of Christ as a whole, then we'll be free to show the love to a whole hurting world that it truly needs. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for giving us your love. Thank you for giving us your life. Help us, Lord, as we go forward to do what you called us to do, to share your love to a hurting world. Help us to love each other and love those whom you love. In Jesus' name, amen.